0: to another edition of Unplugged, episode six, back uh, talking all things St Kilda. Unfortunately, the home and away season comes to an end with back-to-back losses, and one of, in fairness, our poorest losses of the season, it must be said. We'll pull that apart. We'll also be joined by Former coach of the Saints who got us into three consecutive finals campaigns, including back-to-back preliminary finals in Grant Thomas. He'll jump on a little bit later on. Darren Parkin is my name, Nick Splitter, and Aaron McGrath with me every week. Lifelong Saints fans via through Saintsational or the old Saints chat or just heading along to Waverley Park in the 90s along the way as well. And we'd love to hear from you throughout the course of each week, particularly now as we get towards the silly season. You can contact us, unplugged at gmail.com, facebook.com. Forward slash unplugged at unplugged on Twitter or unplugged podcast on Instagram, taking all of your feedback. And boys, we welcome you. Aaron, first of all, you are a game that midway through the third quarter showed a bit of promise, which we'll review later, but um, that was a, a pretty nasty one in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, even though we were reasonably close, it sort of did feel a bit more than what it was a lot of the time, though. Um, I think we had plenty of the shots at the goal, but once again, the that goal-kicking accuracy that really, really let us down. But it it just didn't feel like we were going to run over them at any point.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Nick, uh, your assessment initially? It was a
2: bit of a depressing afternoon way yeah. to finish the season, I thought. But um, I was really hoping that we'd come out you know, all guns blazing and really finish the season strongly. But uh, it wasn't to be. Obviously, Sydney had a, a bit more to play for in farewelling a couple of their greats and, and obviously Buddy's 300th. Um, and they all kind of contributed to, to that victory for them.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, we appear to be guests at the, the Sydney party more than anything. Um, we, we often do a bit of reminiscing before we get into our review, and it is the silly season. We've been linked to three quarters of the AFL in trade discussions, and we'll, we'll pull apart facts from fiction a little bit later on. But best or, or worst trades, or trades that got you the most excited? H, yours first. Um, well, not really
1: the one I'm going to look at at the moment. But the most obvious is going to be... a. Gresham and Karloff, are pick, are basically picked five just the other year. But going back to where it all set up, everything through that No. nine ten period, um, getting uh, Schneider, Dempster, King and uh, Charlie Gardner, he wasn't there for too long, for basically nothing. Yeah. Um, three of them set up what
0: was a dominant period. They um, played in five grand finals between, between them and, for yeah. Us. Yeah, Six, actually. Yeah, yeah,
1: and basically paid nothing for them.
0: Yeah, that's right. Schneider played in all three. Dempster played in all three. King played in just the 9 grand final, so we got...
1: And Gardner played some pretty good football
0: while he was with yeah, us. Yeah, um, particularly he was, in that 8 year, yeah. Yeah. Dempster, um, the famous steak knives in that deal. That's right. Absolutely. He was the, the afterthought. Went on to be a pretty good player. He certainly did. Uh, Nick, what was yours?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go back a little bit further um, to to a period that really set up, I guess, that period of, of success for us, and, and that's the 2000-2001 the um, trade period where we brought in a couple of really good players um, and, and the one that, that I really liked was Aaron Hamill um, coming in from Carlton we gave up pick four in the draft which we'd earlier received for Darryl Wakeland from Port Adelaide uh, and Sam Cranage who didn't go on to do too much at Carlton and, and we got a guy who was really influential in, in building our group and, and uh, motivating guys like Rewalt and, and BJ and Cozzy and Dal to, to be leaders of, of a group And remains at the
0: club now, Aaron Hamill, as coach of Sandy, of course. Um, Mine was that same trade period. I'm not even sure exactly what the deal was for offhand, but um, Fraser Garrett came to the club at the same time. And I remember as a kid, there was a lot of excitement around St Kilda at the time, and that one caught me by surprise because Malcolm Blight had just been appointed. Um, Aaron Hamill had been all of the talk. That was the the prime target and the major move of the off-season. But I remember there was a news report where the... A lot of the St Kilda guys had come back from the Gold Coast where they'd wined and dined Malcolm Blyde and got his signature. And Fraser Garrick, who wasn't yet signed by the club, had met them at the airport because he went to the airport just to see what was going on. And the, the, I remember the news article just said at the end, Fraser Garrick met the boys at the airport and he'll be a saint next year. And i thinking, oh, that's a pretty cool get. Uh, not realising that he'd end up being a full forward and and win two Coleman's and and finish runner-up in the best and fairest as a full back because he played as a sort of a half-forward flank roaming player for West Coast. So, yeah, that was exciting to get Rewalt and Cozzy in the draft, get Hamill, Garrick, Brett Voss. Stephen Lawrence. Stephen Lawrence, Craig Callaghan, the ill fated Matthew Capuano at that time. And I think... Gale from Fremantle, Mark Gale, might mm. have been his name. Yep. All at the same time. So, and Robert Tony, Powell. Tony Delaney. Tony Delaney, oh, I think. Was, Robert, been, Robert yeah, Powell from yeah. Richmond, I think, came across. So with some mixed success. So Got, got that trade. It was actually a pretty
2: win-win trade for, for both teams. We got Fraser, as you said, one forty-five games for us. A couple of Coleman medals. Uh, West Coast got David Sirikowski, who was yep. a decent player. Yeah. Only, only played 10 games for them. But uh, as part of that trade, they got pick 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to have a guess who they picked with bk team. i got a good, feeling I'm guessing. I got a, a feeling it might have been Kerr or something. Yeah, good yeah, guess. Yeah, there Daniel go. Kerr, who was, who was a pretty good player in his own right. He was. 220-odd games for West Coast
0: and uh, was was part of a pretty good midfield. I think we both win, that's for sure. Obviously, that intro music you heard at the start, Lloyd Spiegel. Uh, providing that for us again, you can check out his work, lloydspiegel.com, for all of that other stuff as well. But we'll get into our Saints footy review.
3: Rose, but long stay down. Read it well. He wants it back here, and he'll get the handball as well. Ben, long time to straighten up. tries to bend it back, and he's done so. That's the class this guy has off half back, and they're right back in at St Kilda, out of nowhere. I
4: thought
0: we really squandered our opportunities in the in the second. Um, you know when it's. Five, nine to 6'3". three. have um, got five more scoring shots and we don't put any scoreboard pressure on to be you know three or four goals up and have some breathing space
1: but whether it was the first quarter or the last quarter, our skill level is not at the, uh, the level that's needed and uh, yeah that's something that's going to have to change whether I'm the coach or not because if we don't improve in that space, players can't play here and we have to get players that can develop and improve in that space, or we have to recruit them to, get, to come into, into our footy club. And today I thought we left the season with just a little sour taste in our mouth because of the way we use the footy. And then probably the last 11 minutes of the game sort of was a bit of showtime for Sydney. And,
0: and they were one of the rare highlights from a pretty miserable day at the office and Brett Ratton quite rightly lamenting some really ordinary foot skills uh, which have plagued us for a while. Uh, unfortunately, the last month has been a little bit like what the start of the season was and the last couple of years in terms of slaughtering inside 50s and horrendous use of the footy. But Sydney 17 one hundred St Kilda 8 16, 64 after being 5 goals down in the first quarter at one stage we led 6-12 to 7-3 in the third quarter and that was the chance when we just kept peppering i think there was a stretch in the game where we kicked 5 goals 7 to 1 goal 2 or something like that and that's where we needed to take full toll but it wasn't to be there were some good contributors but i guess as is so often the case probably not many standouts nick what did you uh what did you make of that because in the blink of an eye it was gone halfway through the third quarter it was we we're half a sniff and 5 minutes later we were gone
2: yeah i thought I thought around halftime into the third quarter, I thought we we really had a chance to run over the top of them. I I thought we were going to be the fitter team. They were playing a couple of older guys, um, some guys who were probably underdone. And they had some sore bodies too. And some sore bodies. But um, I I really thought that we'd run over the top of them in in the last quarter, even though we hadn't really been in it as much as as we could have earlier. Uh, But we were close. Um, We took the lead at at times and and had some momentum at times. But really disappointing to kind of let go the way we did and, and let it turn out the way it did. Um, obviously, you kick eight goals, 16, you're not going to win too many games of footy, um, especially when the other team just can't seem to miss. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something that, that as Rats said after the game, it's something that really has to improve. And and if guys can't do what they're meant to do, then maybe they shouldn't be playing AFL footy and, and maybe not at our club. Yeah, I didn't quite have the same
1: outlook what was happening during the game it sort of felt like one of those games where we might keep touch with them for a while but it just it had that feeling that it was going to be their day um their players like Kennedy and Buddy and they were they were just doing everything right um Josh Josh Kennedy was unstoppable um I was seeing before 32 disposals and he only played 78 percent of the game um couldn't do anything against him um Buddy 300th so you're either going to go, he's either going to have an absolute stinker or, as he's done before in, in the games mm. like his 200th, dominate us. Also against us. And his 100th yep. against us as, as well. well. Yep. Has <laughs> a um, record against us. But, yeah, just, just their key players that they've had over the years just stood up. Um, they wanted to
2: send their mates out the right way. That That's all they did. They wanted to the win. I mean, you can't complain too much about not winning a game when you're clearly the second best team on the field and oh, yeah. we were even when we were close we were clearly the second best um and sydney were just better they were cleaner they were faster they were harder um you know they, they did everything better than we did um but yeah like i said i was just really disappointed that, that we couldn't use our fitness and, and our i guess our youth to, to our advantage towards it's, the end of the game
0: it's often the story of us though where we're we look like, you know, they're, they're having a dip, but it looks so, for some reason, it looks like it's, we're playing a different game, and it's so much harder for us sometimes where we we'll win possession of the football and things that look relatively straightforward. At times when it's not working, when it's working, it looks great, obviously, but it can look so cumbersome where it's, how are we going to get the ball over the top there? Oh, we just just sort of scrounged it forward. But even little things like in the second quarter when just just things you can't miss. Jack Loney had it about 40 metres out and Hanaberry was running into an open goal and all he had to do was hit him 15 metres away with a chip pass and kicked it over his head and just little stuff like that. And it can be frustrating to watch. I mean, you you see it when they break through like the Melbourne and the Bulldogs game. But there there were times in that game where you were just like, it's not supposed to be this difficult to, to transition the footy. I don't think I've seen too many sides, as frustrating as it sounds, where you'll, you'll be at the ground and you'll see them win the ball at centre-half forward or in the middle. You'll look inside 50, you'll have five players there. And you don't score, mm. and it's impossible to fathom how you don't score in those circ- circumstances. But it happens all the time. Yeah. And yeah. Ki-
2: while, while we're on frustrating things about about the footy, and especially about this weekend, H, I wanted to to raise something that we we mentioned. We watched the game on Saturday afternoon together, and and uh, it was funny hearing the, the the fans kind of around us. You know some common common refrains, which I think are, are normal for, you know, historically <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, as footy fans and at the footy. But the the old the old just kick, kick it. it, just kick it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think. And two look, seconds later,
1: we it, do win, and we lost
2: it. Yeah, look, it's, it's a good sentiment. Yeah. Obviously, we want to get we want to move the ball quickly. We want to get it out of congestion and and, and kick it to our advantage. But players are actually coached not to just kick it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and things like man up, Saints. Um, they're coached not to man up. They're, they're coached to to defend in zones mm. and and defend parts of the ground specifically rather than specific men at times. Uh, and, and you know, hearing hearing the man up. Uh, just kick it long, kick it, Saints. Um, <laughs> when clearly that's not the game plan it was frustrating. It's one, it a, one of one of players seventy meters out, and we have got no one in the fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and then and then someone does kick it under pressure, straight and it just drops the in the, the lap of Sydney, yeah. an yeah. defender or midfielder, and and it's just it's just really frustrating. One of the things that really really uh, grinds my gears at the footy at the moment.
0: Yeah, uh, there, there are quite a few of those, and yeah, there, there are a few players that were frustrating. I guess without sounding harsh because I think. It's a hard one to assess on, on Brett Ratton, but is there any danger that that was, I guess, a mortal blow in the sense that they were not as competitive as they needed to be? I mean, I was discussing it with a couple of other Saints fans and Michael Egan is one that we all know quite well. On Twitter, I was talking to him about it. And the last, the first two games under Brett Ratton, there was a clear and obvious change. All Keen to ask um, Grant Thomas about that as well. But in the last four weeks, it seemed to be a little bit more of a back to the way they've been getting beaten earlier in the year. Is it unrealistic to suggest that that should have changed more in the space of six weeks? Or is Brett Ratton not not expected in a short space of time to be able to turn that around so quickly?
2: Unless
1: you change your list a lot. I don't think it really yeah, does. I agree. Um, I just hope they do. And,
2: and <laughs> yeah. I think there were, still, there were still signs that we were playing differently. I mean, yeah. the, we, we've got to keep in mind that, for a start, this is round 23. The, the guys literally had nothing to play for except you know, potentially trying to keep a place on the list, which is, you know, big enough in its own. But in terms of, you know, team success, there was nothing really to gain um, by, by winning the, the match. And I still think that we are playing more direct. We're running the ball. We're moving the ball a bit quicker um, and, and taking a few more chances through the middle than we were previously. Um, doesn't always come off. And, and as you kind of mentioned, the, the list hasn't changed from the, from previous under Richo. Um and some of the skills just aren't up to scratch. And, and when you're trying to move the ball quickly and you're trying to you know, hit up targets further up the field and, and you know, run through the middle and, and try and use some pace and, and dash, um, you know, ultimately you need players who can do that. And we don't have a list that's built for that at the moment. We, mm-hmm. Our list is built for patience. Um, you know, let's, let's move the ball patiently and slowly. Mm-hmm. Let's hit targets short. We can move wide, play down the wings, um, and, and try and you know hit someone up on the flank. And uh, move the ball kind of slowly into into our offensive zone. But um, what Rats I think has has tried to do, and what I've noticed is is a lot more um, you know dash through the middle, leaving caution to the wind. I guess in in some cases, and, and we've seen it with guys like Nick Hind on occasion, um, picking the ball up in the middle of the ground and 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 running, you know, using his his power and his burst um, to our advantage and kicking some goals. But we don't have a list that's built to do that, and, and I think you know that'll be a really um, clear focus for us moving into trade and draft period um, to to figure out the best players to utilise that game plan if it is Ratten that that ends up getting the job and and whoever that is will have, I think, have some input into what those players and and what those moves look like.
1: Yeah, and I think the, as you talk about the speed with Hind on the wing and that sort of thing, and we kind of looking towards who's possibly going to be coming into the team um, because that's probably what we're, Kind of focused on getting a bit more pace, a bit more skill, ball use. Mm. Um, we possibly do look at moving the ball
2: quicker next year. Yeah, I think we just um, need to be more efficient. And, yeah, and that's just all, all around hit, the ground. Hit those easy targets that we should yeah. hit. Yeah. And, and and just to, to answer the, the original question, I, I don't think that the last two or three weeks should have too much of an impact on um, on Ratten's hopes of, yeah, of getting the job. And I I still think he's the front runner. Um, I still think he has the advantage over anybody else. Obviously, we're not, you know, we, we're not privy to the, the presentations that that are being put to the club, um, and the interviews and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, I don't think Rats has done too much wrong in the last couple of weeks.
0: Now. Um there's a lot of players we can analyse, but we'll do that perhaps as part of a review next week in regards to the list and, and whether they'll survive or, or what the future might hold. Some of those guys that are fringe-ish like Nunes and Acres and Sinclair and Loney and all of those sorts of players. But the 3-2-1, uh, we'll stockpile some of the player of the year votes and, and compile this over the course of the season. But coming into this, Jack Steele, 14, Sebros, 13, Hanabry, 9, Marshall, 8. Your main contenders, your 3-2-1 and 1st first eight. Hey? Um... <laughs> It was a
1: very, very difficult one to do this week. It was. Um yeah. wasn't as we say, no standouts really. Um basically I've had to give it three to Henry. Um consistent. That's that's all he has been. Um is is twenty eight touches, twelve contested possessions. He he did what he was he's there to do. Um probably had the did the best job for what the jobs are given to the, each player. Yeah. Um, Sebro uh, sorry, Luke Dunstan two. Um, 15 contested possessions. Did the same. Got in there, got the ball for us. Um, and yeah, you, used it okay, but he was sort of the ones that, one of the ones that sort of gave it up when trying to move the ball too quick down the ground and we didn't really have anyone there. Um, that was his only real downside on the day. And one to Sebros, Um, again, another effort. Um, Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, but did his job that he needed to do.
2: Nick, yeah, uh, same. I, I think Hanoveri w- was our clear best out of it. You know, I guess a disappointing group. Um, as you said, he had a fair bit of the ball, five tackles, seven inside fifties, and seven clearances. Did pretty much everything he could have done. Um, two to Jack Steele. I thought he was pretty good as well. Uh, Twenty-seven touches and seven tackles. Did his job. Um, Unfortunately, I guess the the pack mentality of the Sydney midfield took over at times and and there was not much he could do about it. Um, The one was really difficult. Uh, I had Dunstan in that group for for the one. Um, If he'd kicked one or two of the the shots that he had, uh, probably would have snuck in. Um, But I went Josh Bruce for the one. Um, kicked two goals one, had seven score involvements, five marks um, up the wing and inside 50, uh, and just worked really hard, just just worked his butt off all, all day.
0: Got the same players as H for a slightly different order. I gave three votes to uh, Luke Dunstan. I thought his uh, consistency over the course of the game. Two votes to... Seb Ross uh, kicked a couple of goals, he's, he's certainly been probably more offensive in the last six weeks under Brett Ratton, he's one guy that I think's had a, a better back end of the year under the uh, under the new coach, and, and one vote to Dan Hanabry, uh 28 possessions, and was lively, should have kicked the goal, as we said, he got burnt running into a, an open goal at, at one point and, and missed another chance as well, but his five weeks have been what you would have hoped from him, he's been getting mid-twenties and pushing forward and been really creative, so if he can get a pre-season under his belt, you'd love to have him 20 times next year. Uh, we are going to turn our attention to our feature interview of the week, and this time it is former St Kilda coach, Grant Thomas.
3: Well, we thought we were in for a pretty cold old boring Saturday night as he goes again. He's got Betty Hall! Stevie Moore has put the past the hall. Will it be Betty Hall to make the try to win the game for St Kilda, from 38 metres out. He's kicked the goal, he's kicked the
5: goal! The Saints have broken the play!
3: Yeah, fine Everton, what a wonderful shot there of Grant Thomas, Stewie Lowe, Nathan Burke is there as well, and Grant, you won't get the smile off his face for some considerable time, and neither you should, because they've been through hell, and now
5: they're on their way back.
0: We do welcome now Grant Thomas, 72 games as a player for the Saints, 123 games as a coach. He's got the fifth highest winning percentage of any coach in St Kilda's history and he's coached the third most finals behind only Ross Lyons' 11 and Alan Jeans' 17 finals as coach of the Saints from 2001, the latter stages of 2001 through until 2006. Grant, uh, thank you very much for joining us.
4: Cheers.
0: Now... Uh, if we go back to that period where you were a caretaker, and obviously you were appointed for the start of of two thousand and two, your thoughts on Brett Ratton's six week tenure? We know a lot's been said since the departure of Alan Richardson. Is is three and three about right? Is it probably unfair to expect more given he's only had the group for a short period of time, or, or are you maybe unconvinced that, that he's the man for the job? Uh,
4: look, I'm I'm unconvinced only to the point that I haven't had much to do with. Rats and I haven't spoken to him and I wouldn't have any idea other than any other footy fan. At the moment I'm a footy fan and I look on and I see probably a little bit more methodology in the way they're going about their uh, games, uh, firstly, so that's a tick. I see that there's probably more consistent um, unconditional effort um, which is a a tick, so there's definitely an improvement but uh, I also uh, you know, i mean, enthused by the fact St Kilda are uh, saying that you know it's a very open um, uh, process that they're going through, and they're going to sort of leave no stone unturned to get the best candidate. And if the best is Rats, well, good luck to him. Um, we can all be confident that mm-hmm. he's one you know a really tough process.
1: Uh, now, obviously, you went through this process yourself back in the day. Um, under Blighty, he saw it at 15 weeks, then you stepped in after he basically walked into Moorabbin and five minutes later walked out in his nice yellow jumper that we remember. Um, what was the process you went through there, finding out that you had to position?
4: There wasn't really any process. <laughs> it was, um, you know, after, after the surprise exit of Blighty, I was... Uh, uh, asked to be caretaker coach. Um, uh, that was, you know, for reasons that you'd need to ask the people who made the decision at the time why that, that was the case and uh, um, then they went through a, a process which was, in you know, all sincerity, somewhat of a facade but, um, um, you know, I was told way before the end of that that uh, I'd be coaching the, the club, I think, at that point in time for the next three years, I think. I, the contract was, I can't remember
0: if we look back at that period of time, I mean, yes, there was the tumultuous, that the wooden spoon under Tim Watson in 2000, and then Malcolm Blight gets the, the flick midway through 2001. But for all intents and purposes, if we assess that five-year block, I mean, Nick Rewalt and Justin Kaczynski come to the club. Uh, through the acquisition of uh, Malcolm Blight, we probably get Aaron Hamill and Fraser Garrick and all of these sorts of people. The new step in as coach, and within three years, we play in a preliminary final. So as much as that period of time appears tumultuous, the, the building Building blocks, even though Blighty was originally the plan, didn't work out too badly. The club did, I guess, enjoy a, a rather significant and quick uh, improvement.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, we had a mandate to uh, provide St-, St Kilda with uh, sustainable success. We defined sustainable success as playing in finals for a decade, and uh, out of that, uh, Uh, winning at least one but uh, you know one to three premierships is uh, and that's how we we saw it and uh, we felt that the club needed to play in finals every year for a decade to earn respect I didn't think we were respected as an organization and uh, to do that we couldn't do things how we'd always done them there was uh, you know we, we would have got similar results so we had to break the nexus we had to provide some breakthrough performance and and do things dramatically different. And that started with uh, readdressing the culture of the place and the environment and the people and getting it right. I think we got it pretty right. Uh, uh, I left in 2006, but in 2004, thousand and four, five, and six, we were the most winningest club in the competition. No club had won more games than us over that three-year period. Uh, we played in uh, three final series in a row for the first time, uh, for a long time and only the second time in the club's history. Um, yeah, and then, unfortunately, we missed the following year, Rossi's first year, when it took, you know, the train went off the tracks for a while. Uh, but then, um, you know, to his credit and the, the club's and players' credit, they got the train back on the track and came damn close to delivering a couple of premierships. So the model couldn't have been too too wrong.
2: Tom, I've heard in, in recent days... Um, and for a long time, actually, a lot of the, the former players at the club under you, Rui, BJ and Dal and, and a few of those guys talk about the the culture, as, as you alluded to, changing the culture and, and creating a culture of success um, and sustainability within the club. How do you go about doing that when, when you walk into a club that's full of either veterans, average veterans and, and, and young kids who, who might have elite talent? But, but how do you go about changing the culture at a club like St Kilda?
4: Well, you come up with a, an agreed set of, uh, of behaviours uh, first and values that you live and die by and you're accountable to in everything you do. Uh, you uh, eradicate the people that uh, aren't interested in abiding by those agreed values and you uh, uh, ensure that the playing group have a set of goals that's uh, in alliance with the, with the club. And if that is, that usually amounts to... Success, uh, and if that success is defined by playing finals and giving yourself a chance to win a premiership, well, and everyone's in agreement with that, we'll then say, well, okay, well that's fine, guys. Happy if that's what you want. We will manage you and coach you and drive you towards that. But you need to understand uh, the ramifications, and the ramifications of that is that you're going to need to do this, 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 and this. And if they say, oh, well, the first three are okay, but the next two we're not 100% confident, we say, well, okay, you've got to do one or two things. You've either got to change your attitude towards what you need to do, or you've got to reduce your standards of success. Now, of course, they always say, well, we want to keep the success. Well, okay, you've got to change your standards, and you've got to accept the whole five or six things we've got to do, not just three. And once you have agreement to that, it's pretty simple. Guys, you ask for it, I'm delivering it, or well, we're delivering it, and we're managing it towards it, and uh, and it's all encompassing. And it starts with getting the right people involved everywhere you look, left, right, in front, above, beyond, below. Everyone is the is the right type of person. You then got to change your, uh, your environment. You got to make sure that, uh, that it is the right environment to to live in and to work in. And then um, you got to drive the right culture. And the, Uh, the culture of uh, expectation, the culture of success. Uh, You've got to have an environment where players can't wait to get to the club. If you can't wait to get to work, you work better, and that's a fact. We also wanted to accelerate maturity and uh, um, try and show players uh, how vulnerable they are, but also how how much they need to learn, and uh, by that we... Started and St Kilda has been credited with starting the AFL community camps and we go to places for two or three weeks and immerse ourselves in those communities. And I remember getting lining up at Spencer Street station with 60 people, 40 players and 20 staff, all with a push bike and a backpack. And we went to Warrnambool for three weeks, two weeks, and we immersed ourselves in in hospitals, in prisons, in schools and trained three times a day and we did all that sort of stuff. That was part of it. The next step of that was to do um, high-performance uh, altitude training camps in South Africa. The next step to that was to go to London and meet some of the greatest athletes the world's ever produced and train with them for two weeks to show them how little and uh, little you are in Melbourne, Australia, as a sports hero is against uh, the world. And then we took everyone to China and showed them just what it's like to live around a, a country that's got uh, 1.2 billion people and uh, uh, those sorts of things. So it was all about education and training and leadership and all those uh, fantastic things added up to change the culture of, uh, of the organisation.
2: And as, as the head coach, how much input would you have had, you know, this time of year, um, not playing finals, obviously silly season has started in, in regards to trades and draft and all that sort of stuff. Do you then give a list of those characteristics or, or those character traits to your recruiting department and say, these are the types of people we want in a club or how much input do you have in, in the type of player that, that the recruiters w- would have been looking at?
4: Uh, I just want the best player. I mean, I don't care what, what background they've got. I don't care what they look like. I have a, a, uh, a very strong belief and confidence in a long experienced career of management and, uh, uh everything else to uh, believe that if you build the right uh, environment and you have the right culture and you get the right people, um, you throw anyone into that, you can help them to be successful and change their habits and change. So I don't say listen I don't I only want public school boys or I only want uh, people who haven't been in trouble <laughs> who haven't been in trouble with the law. I don't love that prescriptive. I just said "The Bevo, you pick the best player, Bevo. Um, that's the most important thing. We're going to be in this environment, everyone will end up pretty good.
0: I guess a, a two-part one from from me. Uh, in regards to, you spoke a little bit about respect from from the outside. How much of it is, is that, and how much of it is, I guess, how you, you you view yourself? I mean, I talk about that elusive premiership, and in the last, say, or in that period from, say, 2001 to 2010, St Kilda did a hell of a lot right, put a hell of a lot of building blocks in place, but that was the one thing that didn't land, and it seems that that was the one thing that probably held the club back from from maybe breaking through all of those barriers. That all it would have taken was to win one flag to to, to effectively complete that entire journey. Is it as simplistic as that? That in, in the eyes of the, the footballing public, that's the that's the true way that you you finally close that chapter.
4: Oh, pretty much. I mean, that's one one way to look at it, and that's one vindication for what you're doing. But unless you've got very strong leaders and are able to drive through that continual performance, you'll you'll hiccup and you'll falter at the next hurdle. And, you know, firstly, the club, uh, not not the club, but um, let's say um, uh, 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 individuals, um, you know, got rid of me and then individuals got rid of Ross Lyon. I don't think it was uh, a club. There's not St Kilda. It's people that are in charge at a point in time. And, and, you know, I think I had pretty strong... um, um, skills and management to ensure that we were consistent and I think I've proven that. I'm damn sure Ross in Iron had the same Uh, he's proven that Uh, but then all of a sudden uh, you know um, you don't get have the right leadership right from the top whether it be board, executive and coaching and uh, you start to falter and you start to make knee-jerk decisions and you start to go away from your core principles and everything else and Instead of playing finals, you end up uh, doing a whole host of other things, and pretty much we've been wallowing around
1: since. Now you're known for doing a few different things while in, in your coaching time. Um, it, it kind of almost changed the way that coaches worked with the media and other areas outside the club itself. Um, you're basically the first to bring in the media to the coaching box on game day. Um, Was the inspiration behind that trying to? Bring the club and media together or give people a more a look at the inside of what happens on game day? Or what was the inspiration in that?
4: Oh, the inspiration was pretty much just to show the media that, that footy's not as sophisticated as you think it is. <laughs> and, yeah, <clears throat> and hopefully to show the fans that, hey, listen, you guys treat everyone within footy like gods, but. um, you know, football is quite unsophisticated and a very long way behind business. But uh, that was part of the reason. The other part of it was, uh, uh, you know, to in- ensure that we could uh, build, you know, the right relationships with the media because for whatever reason, they uh, they didn't have a uh, a strong uh, liking to me. I think they probably had a big party when I got the sack and that's OK. But um, So part of it was to say, well... They'd ring up and ask some questions. I think it might be Mark Robinson or whatever, and I'd talk about things. And I would say, well, listen, if you don't believe me, come in the box and have a listen. Oh, I'd love to. And next thing, I say, well, I'm not stopping you. When do you want to come? Come along, have a have a look. You know, shut up and just listen. And, and they come in and they give feedback and they tell us what they think. And they still talk about it to this day. But it's a lot of myths in footy, and you know, you see a lot of camera shots of the coach's box, but if you had the opportunity to uh, actually see what happens in there, I think a lot of people would be very, very surprised about the lack of sophistication.
3: The
0: final one from from me, and I guess it's a, a two-parter, I think part of what we see from, from big clubs that have a bit of clout is their, I guess, relationship with the AFL, where it's a case of if they want something from the AFL, they'll make that very clear and they'll stand their ground. And that was one of the things I most admired about you when you were coaching St Kilda, was that you would stand toe-to-toe with the AFL on issues that mattered to the football club. And as a result, we know your relationship with Andrew Demetrio wasn't always the best, but it was always from the best interest of St Kilda. How important was that for... For you to be able to just stand there and say no no this is, this is what we want to stand for for St Kilda and just to tack a little bit onto the end because I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer it I listened to the Sacked podcast where you mentioned the whispers in the sky game and you spoke about how a staff member rang you the following morning who'd been on the flight and said you wouldn't believe what some of these guys are saying and I know on that podcast they weren't able to dig a little bit deeper just out of curiosity can you shed some light on what some of those things actually were uh, in terms of what was being said on that flight
4: well, first things first, uh, I thought it was critical that we stood up to the AFL. I mean, they treated us with contempt and they treated us like a uh, uh, a bad cousin. And um, the unfortunate thing about it is when I would stand up to the AFL, I'd um, look around uh, over each shoulder for the support of uh, uh, our people. And, and uh, most of them would sort of run for the hills. So I was left standing there on my own to fight the battles, which is okay. I'm a big boy, I can do that, but um, being yep. used as a uh, as a uh, doormat for too long and it was time we stood up and uh, uh, demanded respect and not just through our performances, but we weren't to be really stand there and take any ridicule from anyone and uh, um, I thought it was a very important part of our progress and I think our players deserved it, our fans 100% deserved it and I don't think they've had much of it in the past. Um, in relation to that incident, uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's been pretty well documented for a long period of time. I mean, there was an article on it Mark Parker was interviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can research all that. I mean, there's no no, no secrets there.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, we know the old, um, now I know what a victory feels like, but yeah, that was uh, very interesting, and, and I think all of us who watched it were, were in agreement.
2: Nick, you had one? Yeah, last one from me, Tomo. Uh, obviously, you alluded, alluded to earlier about your experience with with business and in business, um, kind of helping shape how you mould the culture at the club. Um, you obviously spent time with some some pretty um, illustrious characters in terms of footy. Um, you played under some, some pretty impressive people uh, at the club, guys like Jezza and, and the like. Um, you're at North with Dennis Pagan. Um, what people might not remember is your time as an assistant coach under Stan Alves. What can you tell us uh, about Stan and, and his time at the club?
4: Uh, look, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't there for that long. Um, in fact, I wasn't anywhere for very long. Anyway, I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, um, look, Dan just rang me up and said, "Listen, you've won four premierships in a row at Warnable and you've got a lot of experience, and blah blah blah." And you know, do you have
5: one? Uh, one? Yeah. I'd, like, I'd
4: I, I, this is my first stint of coaching. I'd like someone I can trust and believe in to, to call it as they say. I know you speak your mind, and I'd like you to, you know do some, you know, mentoring to me and provide some advice. And I said, well, that's OK. You know, I'd love to do it, I'd love to help, especially if you were uh, prepared to sort of res- receive the, in the manner it's meant, but I won't pull any punches. And that was <clears throat> OK for a period of time. And uh, then, uh, you know, we sat down after about 14 weeks or 15 weeks and Stan asked me uh, a couple of questions, which I gave him... Couple of honest answers too, and uh, he didn't like it, and uh, so he asked me to leave. And I said, "Fine,
1: that's problem." Fine. That's so I left. <laughs> that simple. Now, as
4: you said uh, there, you, you know, I think he uh, might have uh, ad- adjusted some of the things I was referring to. Well, I know he did, um, and he went on to, you know, coach for a few more years and do pretty well.
1: They just said there you you weren't at places for very long there, which ended up giving you a nickname by Patrick Smith. So it's, the same question you can answer is, what is your favourite breakfast cereal? not um,
4: oh, bacon and eggs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: I thought I was going to go with cornflakes there, but yeah, how, how did that relationship go along with, with Patrick?
4: Patrick. Well, Patrick Smith is the brother of brother Paul Smith, who was my headmaster at St. Beach College, which I never found this out for a while, but our... Uh, one of my good mates from school, Father Michael Sirakoski, who became a parish priest in Bentley for a long time, I asked him to come along and be our our priest uh, within the uh, club, uh, just for players to go and talk when they couldn't talk to anyone else. And uh, and we are St Kilda, so we're saints. So it was good that uh, priest <laughs> within guy, Father Michael, and he said. Told me one day, you know, why are having so many problems with Patrick Smith? And I said, no. And he said, well, his brother's brother Paul Smith. I said, you're kidding me. Because I used to torment brother Paul Smith a bit. And I think Patrick might have been trying to get me back. So was, I think it was that simple, to be frank.
0: Well, Grant, uh, watching the Saints under you was a, a lot of fun and, and I think you, de- you deserve a lot of credit for, ch- for helping to change the club so significantly at the time. We still chase that elusive flag, but you and, and Ross Lyon and plenty of others have given it a, a bloody good crack and I'm sure we'll all have a smile on our face when it comes. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us.
4: Thank you. Love the Saints. Go
0: Saints. Grant Thomas there. We'll jump now into our Issues of the Week.
3: The Big Issues. St. Kilda star, Jake Carlisle, well, you can officially put him on the trade table. Now, his manager, Anthony McConville, will meet with St. Kilda with their head of footy, Simon Lethleen, and their list manager, James Gallagher, this week to discuss his future. Now, both parties will say that Jake Carlisle is committed to St. Kilda and likely to be St. Kilda next year. That is true if they can't find another suitor. And the facts are, is there's a real chance Jake Carlisle is going to be
1: playing at another club next year.
0: And that was Sam McClure with the news that a couple of Saints are on the trade table. There's been a lot of talk around Jake Carlisle activating the clause in his contract, which he's successfully done, meaning that he is available and, I guess, likely to be retained by St Kilda in 2020, but Sam McClure is suggesting he's on the trade table. And a bit of a favourite son in Josh Bruce has had a good year, potentially getting shopped around as well. There's a thousand pieces of news we could go through here before we get to uh, some of your questions as well, but Brad Hill uh, we anticipate we'll nominate St Kilda, the $900,000 deal. It's hard to see that not happening. Uh, Carl Amon has suggested that he'll leave, or wants to leave Port Adelaide again, as he did 12 months ago. He's been linked to both St Kilda and Melbourne, so it's one or the other. Paddy Ryder been linked to St Kilda and Essendon. I think he's former club. Uh, the other two, and we keep getting thrown around with the likes of Adam Tomlinson, Brad Crouch, you're obviously not going to land all of these players, but the latest one has been Jake Kelly, which has been doing the rounds, and particularly if you lost Jake Carlisle. But what do we make of all of that? We've been linked with a lot of players, but we'll start off, H, the prospect of Carlisle and Bruce. Would you
1: or wouldn't you? Uh, well, I was going to start with saying that with all the players linked to us this year, we could actually make a pretty good team. But <laughs> um, Yeah, they're the sort of players that, unless we get something better back, I would not be getting rid of any time soon. They're not players that I want to get rid of for picks. Um,
2: I think they're worth more to us than they are for exactly. any other club in terms and of what they'd give up.
1: Yeah, unless we get, get a player that we look at going, they're going to fit in so much better,
0: then well, I wouldn't trade them. The only I'd, the only thing I'd say on Bruce, and, and I love Bruce and he loves the club, and I think he's one of those heart and soul players you hang on to. If, if and it, it's all a big if, if St Kilda got another Ruckman, even though it would only be short term, but let's say they got Ryder and Marshall played forward ruck and then Max King came through, who misses out? So... If you're playing another Ruckman forward and you're playing King forward, it probably comes down to Membry or Bruce, and Membry would probably win that battle, as good as Bruce is, and I love him, but that would be the only reasoning, I would think. That's probably fair, and it, I, I think it's it's
2: it's a good, it's probably a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, but I think often, you know, and a lot of people, we've seen it during the week um, about Max King and, and him basically having a walk-up spot in the goal square, and I'm not sure it's that simple. Um, we know how long it takes big guys to develop. Um, we know he's been out for a very long time between the, the two seasons. Uh, we don't know what his health and his fitness is going to be like. And I'm not sure we can guarantee on having him in the goal square for, for 22 weeks, uh, 22 games, uh, mm. you know, all season. And it's, it would be nice to have that sort of flexibility. where is if he's not able to get the ball, if he's not, you know, hundred percent that he can go back to the twos or he can have a week off and can bring someone like, you know, Josh Bruce or Tim Embry back into the team and, um, yeah, it would have to be something pretty compelling for me to want to lose Josh Bruce I think yeah and I can see him being a player who's actually probably could be utilized in other positions as well oh, yeah. he, he he's a bit
1: of a bit of a swingman I reckon mm. if we really needed to bring There's someone down of- bring someone down the back line I mean he played a GWS in the back line um, he's got experience all over the field, really. I mean, you can, a bit of
2: Hunter and Hanson and those sort of guys yeah, who can play a bit of centre half forward, centre half back, a bit on the wing.
1: Mm. You can see him <clears throat> spreading down the wing. Yeah. It's it's he he's got a pretty good game behind him
0: wherever he really plays. He had a good year, and he, one thing he got back was his timing. He was running under the footy a bit for a while, but this year he's certainly well and truly got he, that back. The Bulldogs have been the team he's been linked to, and Jake Carlisle, who knows, but Zach Jones, I'm not. A huge rap for for Zach. I mean, he, he's been a competent player, but he strikes me as the type of guy that relies on his speed, runs too fast, and then tries to kick the footy usually whilst running flat out. and And his disposal efficiency wouldn't be great. And I'm not sure we need somebody with poor disposal efficiency. Mm. If yeah. we got him,
1: if we got him for nothing, maybe. Yeah, so is I, he a
2: free agent? Uh... I'm not sure he's a free agent. I think he might be out of contract. Right, I think
0: he's a free agent, which means we'd still have to trade unless yeah. it was a delisted free agent. So basically, for sorry, a delisted preseason draft. If we're yeah. going for
2: a very late pick or
1: something, sure, yeah, but possibly. I wouldn't uh, be spending too much.
2: I kind of see him as the same category of player as Nick Hind, but I think Hind is a better field kick. Yeah, than than Jones, um, and you know I wouldn't mind seeing um, Hind play a bit off halfback in in the same way, um, a bit of dash down the wing and, and off halfback, um, but back. Back to Carlisle, I've seen a few things today since that that report came out yesterday about uh, Jake Carlisle on the trade table and and a few comments around the the topic of we need to remove his salary from the the books and we need the money for guys like Brad Hill or Tomlinson. And I I don't think that's correct. I think if if that was an issue, then we could have quite easily held him out of the last couple of weeks and and not trigger that extension. Correct. Um, So if there's a reason that we want to trade him out um, then it's something that's not contract-related. It might be football-related. It might be personality-related. Um, it could be something that, that he wants. We, you know, we don't know what that story is. We don't know if it's if it's crap, to be honest. Yeah, it could just it could be yeah, media rubbish. It, it could be media rubbish. It could be something leaked out of the club meant to put a bit of a rocket up him for the preseason. Um, you know, I, I, I can't see it being true that, that we've got mm-hmm. him on the table because I don't see why we would have you know triggered that extension. An interesting, I that was the move.
0: He's an interesting player, Jake, in that he's a very good player and he does a lot of things really well. But you can usually rely on him to do one thing catastrophically bad <laughs> in a game. And he does make you nervous a little bit. Like, you expect him to either... I think there was one against the Bulldogs where he, he ran... He was forty meters away from two bulldogs players. Ran all the way up to where they were and had his kick smothered. Yeah, I'm like, how did you, how did you misjudge that when you had so much space behind the contest? But anyway, just little things like that. But it, but I think the good well and truly outweighs the bad. And
2: absolutely. And I think getting a full preseason, getting him fit and healthy, um, makes a big difference. It was pretty clear that he wasn't 100. percent Even though he's you know he's obviously been cleared fit, um, but he wasn't 100 percent in terms no. of match fitness. Uh, was clearly a, a, a step slower than, than he is at his peak, um, wasn't able to get the power into his legs, and that's, that's something that's fairly common with uh, back injuries and chronic back injuries, that you can't do a lot of that leg stuff. And, and for a guy his size, you really need to be able to be able to, you know, push off the ground and, and get to a contest. Um, and, and he wasn't able to do that in, in the back half of this year. And I think getting him back on track and, and have a full preseason, getting him fit in 100%, would make a massive difference because he's a really good player. Um, and I think we missed him dearly. Yeah,
1: initially they were putting him out to get him ready for the preseason, but yeah, he recovered so well early that, yeah, I mean he might have recovered to about ninety percent or so, but it was very quick, and they thought, well, we can get him back in and get him playing and sure sorting out our back line and
0: yeah, give him a go. I think Carl Amon would be good if we could land him. He, I think his family was lifelong St Kilda supporters. I'm pretty sure because he grew up with a uh, a health issue that I, I can't place at the moment, but I remember he was a mascot for St Kilda when he was about 9 or 10. He went out on the ground, I think his favourite player was Aaron Hamill or something like that Um, and ran out on the ground with the Saints. So there's certainly a strong connection there for for Carlin and good player, very Creative player can does a lot of his damage forward to center, good user of the ball, so he'd be a nice one. And had his best year for Port as well, for sure. And, and Brad Hills clearly exactly what we need with that that outside run. He's one of the best and fairest, and his numbers rank him in the top three wingmen in the AFL. And and, and I think that I think that deal must be pretty close to being done. I think, yeah, I'd say so.
2: You know, normally at this time of year where there's smoke there's fire, and often we see stuff that that comes out this early comes to fruition. Um, and, and it's just it's in all the media reports, it's every journal mm-hmm. Believes it's going to happen. Um, so does every club. Every club, it seems. Um, yeah. it, it sounds like a lot of the, the the Victorian clubs that were interested have ended up not making an offer They're or back, pulling or out, of, off, yeah. or when, uh, pulling out of it. And when when asked
0: about it, they've said he's going to and kill. Yeah,
2: I, where they smoke this fire, and I, I think it, it's. I think it's as good as done. As
0: it's know, just how we got pick five, which I think will end up being pick six because the AFL will bow to the Gold Coast wishes and give them a priority selection, which is absurd. I wonder whether because the Gold Coast traded pick two for Lockie Weller. Now, I think if they're given a priority pick, the AFL will make them traded. I get that feeling. It is possible. Now, they're unlikely to land a big, a big big fish because a big, big fish won't accept a trade there. Um, there aren't too many out-of-contract Queenslanders that I can think of. Armo. Well, that's right. <laughs> but I wonder whether you know a package deal of, of, of modest, when I say modest, of good players could, could potentially get the job done if there was a volume of them.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's something that I, I mentioned on Twitter today. I don't don't remember who it was to um, one of the journals but um, I think it's going to have to still be a pretty good offer. I, I don't think a, a club in this day and age is going to be able to get away with a package of kind of average veterans and, and you know lowly draft picks. Josh but, Bruce
0: all right Josh Bruce, Jake Carlisle, Blake Akers for pick two and Ben King. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm
1: not, so,
2: sure. I'm not sure Gold Coast are ready to give up Ben King and no, pick two. No, Um But pick two is not, sure not in... actually
1: theirs in the first place. True. But, but I, they probably think... had that same pause that we just did, though. <laughs> yeah,
2: possibly. But I think something along mm. the lines for us, you'd, you'd look at um, Josh Bruce, um, Jack Nunes potentially, someone who might want a fresh start and, and you know really play for midfield minutes at Gold Coast um, and potentially uh, you know pick in the 30s. Um, could be a start. Is that, is, that's not going to do it on its own, but I think um, that would be a start. And then you start looking at guys like Jake Carlisle and, and some others um, that, that might be worth looking at. But there's there's definitely some questions to be asked about what happens with that pick two. Yeah,
0: and that's, that might be a question we can ask. A few of these have been asked off our socials. So Daniel Byrne says, thoughts on Bruce and Carlisle getting traded. Um, Reese Livermore asked about the, the Bruce trade of the Bulldogs and what we might get back. Um depends as I said, where I'd, we'd see, yeah. not
1: the sort of player, as I said, I'd like to
0: trade for a pick or something. No, but that's right. I mean, the Bulldogs, I mean, they've got some good young kids, but are they going to give, give up? They're not going to give up more, and they're not going to give up. No, yeah. that's have, right. We're not going to give up. I get have it. heard a rumour that,
2: um, and, and I can't kind of substantiate it in any way, but I have heard a rumour um, that the St Kilda recruiting team is doing something with the Bulldogs, and mm-hmm. um, and that potentially it's something that a player or someone that the Bulldogs wouldn't want to lose, or the Bulldogs fans wouldn't want to lose. But um, I don't have any more detail. That that's all I've heard, and uh, hmm. yeah, unfortunately, I can't can't give any more context to that. But that's just something that I've heard around the traps over the last couple of weeks.
0: Or tune into our next couple of podcasts, and you might get a little bit more out of Nick on that one going forward. Um, Christian Bessel was asking about Carl Amon and Zach Jones. Um, uh, Alex Emery asking if we started the podcast so we could fanboy over retired heroes. Possibly, <laughs> well, it's, um, it's funny story there. Um, Alex actually used to be a boss of mine, so all oh, right, I, I, I know his humour,
1: and yes, <laughs> as you
0: can see, he's given us a little wink for that. So, <laughs> and both Nikki and Daniel and a couple of others have asked the question that we did discuss a bit earlier about um, whether we're still bullish about Brett and I think we're still on that on that train at the moment. And Paddy Ryder, probably the other one worth mentioning, Rob Shearer and John Zulian at St John 56 on Twitter asking that question. So Paddy Ryder is with 32, I think, at the start of next year. Still got some tricks, but he obviously likes to be the main man at Port Adelaide. He's got Lysette and Laddams who's coming through. I would argue that Marshall at this stage has gone past Ryder, but whether we could utilise both of them in the same team or whether they're the same player, but um, it does look at possibilities. His experience, I think, might be something that would
1: help um, mm. Rowan. Uh, just that the years he's got behind him coming in, just tell him the little tips and tricks that he Rowan probably doesn't know as a youngster because he um, has like kind of new to the ruck game, really. Um, he comes in, gives him these little knowledge bits, goes out in the field, helps him, he's, sits in the pocket while Rowan's rucking, switch over, let Rowan have a rest in the forward line, watch what he does. Yeah. Um, it, it could be very,
2: very useful for us. He's, he's a good player. He has, he's lost a step over the last year or two. Um, he does still have some tricks. He's still a very good player, and he could help us in terms of, you know, growing Marshall's ability as as a ruckman and as a field ruckman. Um I'm not sure that he'd play every game. I think it might be one of those things where he plays, you know, twelve to sixteen games a year. Um, depending on matchups and, and some of those clubs that have really strong ruck departments that like to run around with two mobile ruckmen. Um those those type of games where where Marshall will need a spell occasionally, um and, and will need another big body um to, to help him. Um they are very similar players. I think, like you said, Marshall's probably gone ahead of him in terms of his work around the ground and and you know word out of the club is that they think that he's a better forward than a ruckman so that's that's a pretty scary proposition for a guy that can you know rest up forward um and potentially clunk a few and and kick a couple but um i I think anyone we bring in would have to settle for being the the second fiddle um marshall's shown enough um to to be the undisputed number one ruckman i think at at this stage yeah you just got to
1: look back to the the tap that he
2: gave to Robbie Gregan since last year to sort of think about the, what he can <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: do. Um, yeah, it so nightmare nightmares
2: that tap.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> that's brutal. That is brutal. That's for sure. Um, just a couple of things before we uh, finish up as well. Sandringham completed their season with a win. It's been a while but a 53-point win over the Bullants. Uh, Bull Ants. The Bull Northern Blues. They were the Northern Bullants. Dara Joyce actually played forward and kicked three. Ed Phillips uh, at 27 possessions so that was a good finish um, and our Southern Saints or the St Kilda's VFL soon to be AFLW side has been flying along we'll the, hopefully jump the inside the that mono, yeah yep. we'll, be, we'll jump inside that camp hopefully in the uh, in the coming weeks and celebrate what we hope will be a nice finish to the VFL. They win a flag and then obviously launch their AFL season next year as uh, one of the pioneers. We probably should have had a foundation team in the uh, in the AFLW, but good that we've got one now. and Quiet, Quietly building a really yeah, solid list too. For sure, yeah. They, they're they're going to be in the mix, you'd think, first up. So hopefully we can get around the girls for a bit of success. Um, and also, if you want to check out some of our our stuff on uh, socials as well and trade targets, etc, and um some of the trade target questions that you might have for us, and list management type stuff, and who 's where we 'll have a bit of an assessment next week as to who's on the table, who could stay, who could go. Uh, jump on the emails, it at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash unplugged, at unplugged on Twitter, unplugged podcast on Instagram. Make sure you review and subscribe all their channels, Spotify and Pitcher and um, iTunes and all of that as well. Just uh, search for hashtag unplugged and you'll be able to find all of that. Uh, boys, thank you for uh, stopping by. 9 and 13, so double the win tally from, from last year, but we'll pull apart uh, what it all means in the off-season
2: disappointing season, but not uh, not disastrous.
1: No, they had a crack. Yep. yep. Um, statistically twice as good as last year, so we're
0: going to go up from there. Yep, and uh, guys like Marshall and Clark, etc., certainly look very, very lively. Grant Thomas was our special guest. His finest moment as coach was the 2005 qualifying final victory over the Adelaide Crows. We'll finish with a little bit of that.
3: It's been good, Montagna. Now, Rilt, who has a Big left foot kick, revolt, one out, well done though by Henschel. Milne dangerous, he should nail this, and the Saints are in front. Mark's taken by Ferguson, and after a torrid first quarter, that was a good sign from Ferguson. Harvey now, he might kick his second goal, he's done everything in this quarter, and he's done a bit more now. Got it back again, inside 50, shanks the kick, Will pounces. And the Papua New Guinea kicks it into the gold square. And he's nailed the goal. His first in lead football. And what a time to score. To Fisher again out wide. Mill Picked up by Hart. Beautifully read Del Santo. Got it to Mill, Back to Del Santo. Into the pocket Harvey. He's done it all tonight. Any score will put them in front. It's a 6.0. Long kick, Massey to Edwards, stood up in the tackle, couldn't find Downey, it's over!
0: This is Unplugged, talking all things red, white and black.